Hello, everybody. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas, I might say. Merry Christmas because in the Christian calendar, we are still in the season of Christmas. We've got a few more days left of the 12 days of Christmas. That's right. The 12 days of Christmas don't lead up to Christmas. They start on Christmas Day. How about that? On Wednesday, we enter into Epiphany, and so I get to preach a Christmas sermon today on January the 3rd. Uh, this is the time. Christmas is when we celebrate the incarnation, the arrival of God in person, in the flesh, uh, and God's presence with us. And gosh, as the optimist I am, I wanted to preach that all December in Advent, and it would have been fine, right? You know, we're waiting for Jesus, and he's already come and all of that. But yeah, we can say today from the rooftops, God is with us. Yes, I needed that. Uh We were, Julie and I were talking yesterday about what are we going to do, what house uh chores we want to do today. And Julie's like, we got to take down the Christmas lights. Uh, we got to take down all of the Christmas decor, the tree, everything needs to come down. And being the Christian calendar geek that I am, I said, uh, excuse me, uh, did you know that we're still in the season of Christmas and perhaps we should continue to celebrate Christmas? And you can imagine how that went when Julie looked back at me, probably rolling her eyes and she said, I don't care. I'm over it. Let's take them down. And we did. And I totally get it. Uh, because on one level, yeah, we're still in Christmas. On another level, all those lights and decor is a vestige of 2020, a year that all of us would happily like to forget. So however you want to celebrate Christmas all in December or through this week, you know, uh, pick your pleasure there. Uh, but all that to say, uh, happy new year and Merry Christmas. Uh, when I was a kid, so I had four siblings growing up. No, I had three siblings. I was one of them, one of the four, uh, younger brother, two and a half years younger. I was the oldest. Uh, I have twin sisters and my mom was a stay at home mom. My dad, uh, was a minister. And uh, at least until high school, uh, I guess and then my mom started to work for the, the Christian school we went to. But I remember days in my, uh, in my, in my early teens, maybe 10, 11, 12, when, when Cody and I in particular, my younger brother, were just too much for my mom. Like we would exasperate her. And, um, she, we, we could tell that she had reached her point of exasperation when she pulled out the ultimate trump card of discipline after she had tried whatever kind of other peaceful, nonviolent strategies that she could think of to try to get us to like behave like human being boys. She would say, all right, just wait. When your dad gets home, he is going to whip your bottoms. And we were like, oh, no, because dad whipped way harder 
than mom did. In fact, mom stopped trying to spank us. It will, we won't get into the ethics of spanking. I love my parents. It is what it is. Uh, but one time, uh, my mom spanked, uh, Cody and he just laughed at her all through the spanking. And she was like, yep, I'm not going to try that anymore. I will just, uh, I'll just get dad to do it when he comes home, which was terrifying. Just wait, just wait until your dad gets home and he is going to let you guys have it. And we were, that would give, that would scare us enough to like behaving well. Uh, I don't know why until dad got home. I, I don't know how, how much worse it could have gotten. Uh, fast forward into my early twenties, mid twenties. We had a major fracture in our extended family and it was over religious matters. My grandfather was a preacher for a long time. My dad had just taken a job for a, a, what, what my grandfather considered a very liberal and progressive church. Um, and it, it had to do with these old church of Christ doctrinal distinctives, which some of you know of related to, um, baptism and, and in particular, um, using musical instruments in a worship gathering. And I know for those of you who grew up outside of Church of Christ, that sounds so weird and strange, but my, my grandfather had so much identity wrapped up in the rightness of not using instruments in worship gatherings. So when my dad takes a job with this very progressive, uh, uh, band music worshiping church uh my grandfather wrote a letter uh threatening to disown our side of the family and saying basically you have 2 years to uh to either repent and leave that church or to convince that church the error of their ways and um i remember a christmas holiday uh, i don't know how many years ago somewhere in this in this time I'm describing when we had no plans for the first time in a long time to do anything with our extended family. Cause we had been cut off. Uh, and yet out of the blue, my grandfather showed up at my parents' house where all of us were and they wanted to pay us a visit. And it started out friendly enough. We're all sitting around and grandpa is a great harmonica player. He brings out his harmonica and he's playing. You are my sunshine. And we all, sing and clap along you know and after he's done playing his harmonica we're having you know just just casual conversation he decides that that's the moment to really get into it about the letter that he had written I mean the whole family is there uh and I I just remember he and my dad bantering back and forth arguing um and at one point myself saying well grandpa I just respectfully disagree with you on that thing about musical instruments that you're very passionate about. Uh, the last thing I remember is standing at the door saying goodbye to grandpa and grandma. And, uh, and on the way out, grandpa pulls out his harmonica and, and he says, you know, it's fine for me to play this harmonica over at your parents' house. Uh, but the second that I enter into a service of worship with this, God will burn me for it. Uh, just like God did with Nadab and Abihu, 
in the Old Testament when they offered unauthorized fire before God. God will burn me for it, and God will burn you for it if you don't turn from your ways. Uh, it, it was almost as if in that moment, Grandpa was saying, just you wait. Just you wait until God comes and he's going to get you. He's going to whip your bottom. And, and even more, he's going to, uh, the, the subtext is he's going to eternally consciously torment you for using a harmonica to worship God. Um, if, if that is the way that we think about God and who God is and the presence of God, as someone who comes in uh, dealing death, dealing judgment, dealing punishment, then the promise of Christmas and the presence of God is not good news. Uh, to say that God is with us is not good news if God's presence with us is harmful or terrifying or if God is such that we should be afraid of when God shows up. Um, saying God is with us isn't good news if this is the kind of presence. So uh, the promise of Christmas is not just to say that God is with us. It's to say that God is with us in a particular way and in a way that is good and actually good news. Uh, let me ask this question for all of you. In what ways have you observed or experienced God's presence uh, as bad news? Rather than good news and I, uh, not God's presence per se, but just the idea of God's presence um, as something to be afraid of rather than something to rejoice about. When it, when if you observed that in other folks or, or even had some of those wonders, you know, those experiences or thoughts yourself, uh, leave a note in the chat and I'll ask you to share. And if my question is weird and I need to reword it, you can chat me up to rephrase it. Sarah Walker. Uh, I would guess it's probably not a weird question. I can think of like a million times (laughs) that I would think of. God's presence being bad news, but then there's almost this like embarrassment that, oh, I shouldn't feel this way about God's presence. And it's like, it's almost stuff you don't want to share. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to say, I don't feel good about God's presence in this situation because even still there's a thing that holds you back and says, but you should feel good about it. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there are times like anytime there's been something that I really didn't want to do. Like I've associated God's presence with he's here to make you do things you don't want to do. Um, and I thought, Oh, that's kind of crazy. But then I've been reading just some of the books we've been reading about 
particularly in the LGBTQ discussion and discernment stuff that we've been doing, some of the things just come across and they're just saying outright, you know, you just have to do this. This is just what God wants from you. And it's going to hurt really bad. And God doesn't care. And like, that's who God is. He's a terrifying God. And you have to face that reality. And I was like, oh my goodness. Well, that's, that's probably where I got that idea that the presence of God is a terrifying reality that makes you do things you don't want to do or that are contrary to what you feel in your heart or whatever you want to call it. So, so that's just a ramble, but. Thanks for sharing that, Sarah. Right on. Uh, Val, what about you? Uh, I definitely relate to the idea of like, just wait until your father comes home type thinking. Uh, uh, I, growing up, I uh, was, what made me nervous about God's presence was like the sort of the idea of like God coming back at the end of everything and like that there is going to be a sorting of judgment. And I was really worried that like, what if he came back when I like, cause they were always like, you've got to be ready. And I was like, what if I'm not ready? And then I also felt like one of the ways I had to be ready was by telling all my friends and making sure that my friends were saved or ready or whatever. And if I didn't do those things, then when God came back, he was going to tell me, well, you didn't do these things. So like, you don't get to be a part of this anymore. But I I was very fearful of being like, rejected and cast out and I remember being a little kid and being really worried about it like it really worried me (laughs) yeah thanks uh Val for sharing that now that's probably true for a lot of us um Daryl what about you it's it's a strange juxtaposition for me um I grew up uh in that culture that you grew up in Charles um probably a little more stringent in that it was a few years before you, <laughs> you know, if you uh, get my meaning there. Um, but the interesting thing was, is I remember as a kid and as beginning as a young adult, uh, that fear of, um, you know, I just, what, what if I'm, I don't ask for forgiveness on every item. What if I forget the items, you know, and it's like, you have to, for some reason, and I don't ever recall this actually being preached. All right. But for some reason, I believe you had to list out every single thing that you did wrong that day and ask for forgiveness very specifically or zap, you got it, you know, or if you died, you know, Oh my goodness, you're in deep trouble. You know? Um, and, and yet I don't honestly ever remember hearing anyone from preaching espousing that view but that was kind of the impression that you got and yet and i had a dad who used corporal punishment occasionally um i never got a spanking that i did not immediately get he had sit me down in his lap and hug me and say you must understand that in spite of this this is not who you are this is not who i am i love you more than you can ever imagine and it pains me to bring this this type of punishment to you. I don't, I don't want, I don't like doing this and I want you to be better. And that's why I do it. Um, so there was always this juxtaposition that I had a father who loved me and cared for me and would not ever keep me estranged, even when he had to issue a punishment on me, uh, 
debate aside of whether that's appropriate or not, you know, uh, that kind of a mixed message there. But, but the, the message that I always had was, I love you. You're important to me regardless of any kind of discipline I have to meet out on you that that relationship is not broken. And so while the theology was saying one thing, the actions of my father said an entirely different thing to me. And so I think I found that that helped me transition out of that kind of fear management uh, type thing. And eventually as, as my father grew and he was a, he loved the word. He loved reading the Bible all the time. Um, he was very much in his later life, very grace and kindness oriented. Uh, and I think that really was a part of who he was, but he just never kind of got permission to be that way until later on in life. But I think he was always looking for it. Mm. Yeah. Daryl, we have very similar kind of experiences as kids in that relationship. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Kara. I've been trying to sort through because there's just so, so many. <laughs> I, it, <laughs> it's, what, what do I share? Because there's just, you know, hundreds to pick from. And I grew up in a church of Christ, but that, but by the time I was, you know, like six or seven, we were learning all about grace and I still have these traumatizing memories and of similar thoughts to Daryl, which is crazy. Um, but a recent one that I was thinking of that really has nothing to do with the Church of Christ or with American politics or anything, um, because we could just talk about that the rest of the day. Um, just a real simple, I have a, a friend in El Salvador that I've known since we were both teenagers, since I was going down there and on mission trips and stuff. And we're about the same age and he, you know, loves God and Martin Santiago and, um, is a really wonderful, sweet person from an impoverished family has made his way through school. And we've talked a lot about God over the years and about Jesus and I talked to him about baptism and what that means and several years ago. And he said, I'm not ready to do that. And I said, why not? I mean, it's just, you know, it's like a, and talk to him about it. He said, well, because of what that means here. And I, and he said, because that means that everybody's going to be watching me and making sure I follow the rules and, and, and his community and that, and that I'm like, wow, you know, that's a, oh, that's a cultural thing, but it's not a cultural thing. That's a mm-hmm. human religion thing. And, um, and he's, he hasn't been baptized and he doesn't want to ever get baptized because of what that means culturally. And, um, that speaks volumes to me. So I'd yeah. share that. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Kira. Ted? I have kind of a funny one and then a more serious one. But um, when I was a lot younger, uh, I 
I prayed a lot more than I do now for a lot more, a lot uh, more trivial things than I would now. Just like literally every little event, every interaction. Um, there are many times sitting at a computer waiting for something to like work and God, God, please, 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 you know, just constantly in prayer for something to, to go through. And anyway, there would be times when I was doing something that I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing. And instinctively, I would start to pray for it. And then that would kind of click in my brain and go like, wait a minute. I can't ask God for help with this. God's not going to, uh, I don't want you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, but thinking about it a little bit more deeply than that, just thinking about the, the entire way that I understood evangelism and the purpose of it. And especially again with this background of, the importance of baptism, um, that, you know, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Like, because if you're not baptized, you're not forgiven and therefore you're, you're going to hell. Um, to the point where like I, as probably many other people, um, of my similar demographic had the talk with the parents where they're like, you, it's time you're, you're at the, you're old enough now that you can be held responsible for your own actions and therefore you need to be baptized. Otherwise you're going to die or you're going to, if you die, you're going to go to hell. Um, and that entire fear based driven that we're obeying God, not because of how wonderful God is or how much love there is or of anything. Imagine it's, it's God will kill us if we don't do exactly what we're supposed to do, which like, again, with all of the other wonderful subtext about the grace and about how, but grace was like, if you do the arbitrary thing, then all of your sins are forgiven. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't that lovely that he's going to, that God's going to do that for you, but only if you do this thing. And if you don't, and you don't do it right and, yeah, or, you know, you, you, you do the nahat, you know, the unauthorized, any kind of unauthorized worship, then it might, may or may not count. We're not entirely sure. It's kind of a gray area for us, but you're risking it. Why would you risk it? Why would you risk it? It's too serious to risk it because God will send you to be tormented for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I couldn't, no, it's hard to reconcile that with, it's called the good news. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, similarly, Ted, I think for my grandfather, uh, grace got you in, but you're doing it right or, or is what kind of kept you in. So, so grace got you in and then you got to be terrified, uh, that you were doing everything okay and following the rules or whatnot, which man, that's hard. Uh, um, Terry. I, you know, I, I wondered, I wondered if this was a good question because there was some silence, but you I may mean, just wait a minute and this is surfacing a lot of experiences, isn't it? Before, Terry, what you got? Before she speaks, let me just throw something out because it just kind of hit me too. It's, it's really sad that after becoming saved, you are more, you feel more lost than you were before yeah. you were saved. Yeah. Okay. Just. Well, I was going to say, what's grace? Is that a tongue-in-cheek question? Everybody's really quiet, aren't you? What is grace? I never heard that. I mm. never heard that. Ah, uh, uh, gotcha. Not at all. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm like everyone else. I have all kinds of stories to, to share where now I'm like, where did I get that? Did, was I taught that or did it, it just like, where did I get it? I mean, where did that come from? Like if you're going down the aisle and you die before you get baptized, well, too bad, you know, forget your heart, forget what the intention was there. Too bad. You're lost. You're going straight to hell. Uh, the first time I was baptized, um, it was a group of guys from Harding college that came up with Jimmy Allen and, I, I, when she was two years old, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, she's not that old. I, I remember I was baptized because I'm just going to be honest with y'all. They scared the hell right out of me. I mean, that's why I got baptized. Or, or into you, Terry. Who knows? Yeah, it scared me to death, you know, those kind of things. Um, and then even though I know better now, I know better. There's still that thought as I get older, am, am I good enough? Am I going to be good enough for God? Hmm. Am I good enough? Yeah. And I've learned a lot about God and I've learned about his love and I've learned about his grace. But there's still so much of that ingrained into me yep. that it's like, am I going to be good enough for God? Yep. And I know better. I know better. Yeah, those those narratives run really deep, don't they? Yes. I, I loved it when we first got married and she, I was talking about grace, you know, with her after our marriage, you know, and I was going through school and she was going, well, you can go to hell if you want to, but I know that that's not right. You know? <laughs> it's like, if you want to go to hell, you go right to hell, but I am not believing that. And that is not what that says. That is not what that says. You, and I'm not going with you. <laughs> Uh, oh, to be a fly on the wall during that oh, conflict. That's oh, well, that was it was fun. I mean, we were. I, I was laughing the whole time. But boy, she was. I said, she you was show me. Serious. You show me. Where is that? You show me. Where <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thank thank you all for your vulnerability in um, in sharing some of those um, experiences. I, I think there's a sense of solidarity in having had some of those similar experiences together, and even some of those frames of mind that were just we're formed in um, uh, growing up and the ways that those affect our perceptions of uh, who God is and what it means for God to be present with us, uh, which, which brings us to our text for the day. Uh, and I'm going to hone in on uh, a few verses toward the end of the reading where it says that the word who is Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to us. And God in Jesus comes to us in this Christmas season full of grace and truth, grace in place of grace, grace upon grace upon grace, gift after gift after gift. Uh, you know, at, at first glance, this phrase, grace and truth, might seem just to confirm the kind of conversations we've had about like, well, God forgives you, and then he's going to get you. Grace and then truth, right? I've heard a number of sermons over the course of my life about this verse, you know, it's pretty read devotionals about it. 
And most of them refer to grace and truth as two things, right? That they're kind of paradoxical. They're intention. You have to balance them. Um, if you have too much grace, then you get shallow and, you know, you don't uh, live a good life. Well, if you, but if you have too much truth, you, you become rigid and, and cold. And so you need both grace and truth. Some of you may be familiar with the, uh, the three DM tool that we've used in discipleship in the last decade, uh, the about invitation and challenge, right? The language of or affirmation, like in discipleship, we need both affirmation from folks where um, we're being mentored by or who we're mentoring, and we also need challenge. We need somebody to ask us the hard questions and push us. Well. You might remember too that sometimes imposed on those words for affirmation and challenge are grace and truth. You know, split them up. Grace is the affirmation part and truth is the challenge part. Uh, so I think affirmation and challenge are really good. I don't want to throw that tool away, but I, I think it's wrong headed to put grace and truth on top of both of those words. Um, but both because it's a misreading of this text and I, it doesn't do grace or truth any favors. Um, you know, I think it's, it's kind of tantamount to the love the sinner, hate the sin kind of thing. Uh, and it's possible to read this as, well, God loves us and he has all this grace for us, but also he might have to hurt us. Um, which kind of sounds like something abu- an abuser would say. Uh, I want to, I want to argue that grace and truth are one thing. They are, they, this is a literary device called Henniadis. I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, You have Henniadis in the Old Testament. Uh, Justice and righteousness is a very popular one. It's basically a way of saying two words that describe the same thing, like peace and quiet or nicely warm. You know, we, it's for emphasis, uh, grace and truth, I would argue, is the same thing. Grace is the truth. And the truth is grace. Uh, it is, it is a, it's an emphatic way of saying grace upon grace, grace after grace, uh, grace in place of grace, so on and so forth. Um, and the grace and truth that Jesus is full of is unmerited favor. It is life. Abundant, joyful, overflowing life, and it's love. It's the kind of love that gives up its life for the sake of its beloved. So when Jesus comes in this Christmas season in grace and truth, Jesus comes with grace upon grace. There's no, there's no hook. There's no, there's no hidden catch where he's going to get us with the truth because the truth is grace. The truth is God's overwhelming, undeniable love and affection for all of us that is un- de- just completely unmerited, uh, and we can rest in that. Second question, in what ways have you observed or experienced Jesus in this way, full of grace and truth? Leave a chat, a uh, note in the chat, and I'll holler at you.
Daryl, what you got? I'm afraid I talk too much, okay? Um, but I just can't stand silence, so I've got to. <laughs> uh, no, I, there's one passage that has, has come to my mind over the years. In fact, I, I shared it last night with my friend um, who occasionally struggles with this thing. <clears throat> it's uh, first, first uh, Timothy 1, 16, uh, 15, 14 through 16, where Paul says that, uh, you know, you know what kind of person I was. I was a, a violent man. I persecuted. I killed. Um, but here's the trustworthy saying, saying that deserves full acceptance. So Christ came into the, into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost, who I am the worst. And this passage has stuck with me personally for a long time. And, and I've heard people say that, you know, you, know, you, you think you're the worst sinner? Oh, you're not the apostle Paul. He killed people. He persecuted. And, and, and to me, that's, that's not the issue. To me, it's that maybe I am the worst of sinners. Maybe I am. Maybe you are. Uh, you know, I know me and I know it pretty bad. Uh, but I don't know your heart and you tell me I'm the worst, as my friend has told me in the past. I'm the worst of sinners. And I say, Hey, maybe you are, but there's some great news because that's the very kind of sinner that Jesus Christ came for. That God loves you so much that uh, the worst of the worst of the worst, forget creme de la creme. This is the worst of the worst. And that's the, it's exactly who he focused on is the worst of the worst. No mediocrity there. Uh, you know, um, and then uh, an acquaintance of mine um, has made the statement that has just stuck with me throughout the last couple of years that I love. Brian Zahn uh, has said over and again that God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. There never will be a time where God will not be like Jesus. And so instead of looking backwards through a telescope from the Old Testament into the New, we look from Jesus, turn the telescope around, look from Jesus' point of view to see the Father. Because when you look at the Father of the Old Testament through the eyes of Jesus, then you realize they're the same, and it's not that kind of God that we keep on thinking about that fills us with fear and dread. Amen. He's like Jesus. Amen. Amen to both of those thoughts, Daryl. Thank you. Sarah Walker. Um, yeah, I started practicing like silence and solitude this year. And one of the books I read, The Invitation to Silence and Solitude by Ruth Haley Barton. I mean, she talks about how it can be like a really scary experience because you're kind of afraid of the presence of God, or maybe you don't know what it's going to be like. And um, that was has definitely been my attitude toward it. Like the moment that you get really quiet and let God speak to you, that's when he's going to tell you all of the things you've been doing wrong and tell you the thing you need to let go and that he's going to rip from you and all this stuff. And um, that just like has not been my experience. Like I go into silence and 
there are lots of times where God doesn't say anything to me and I would think, oh, well, that's not productive. He needs to be telling me what's next on my to-do list, what's next to, you know, get out of my life, what sin I need to be working on. But like, he just seems to be happy to be with me. And at first I was like, is this, is this right? Like, okay, but can I, can I just not hear you? Are you trying to tell me something and I just can't hear you? Help me listen better. And then I was like, oh, I think maybe what he's trying to tell me is that he likes being with me <laughs> and that it's okay and that we could just sit here. And um, I don't know, that's been really like healing to my soul. So, ah, that's wonderful. And that, that's a great plug for contemplative space tonight at five o'clock in the Zoom room. Hope to see you there. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Miles. So, yeah, you know, I've been sitting here as we've all been sharing and, and kind of reflecting on my own um, sort of religious trauma, if you will. And, and so many of my experiences echo uh, those that everyone has shared, obviously growing up in a similar background. And, and I was thinking about where that changed for me or, or how that changed and how I've come to experience God, experience Jesus in a different way. Um, you know, and I was thinking about, for me, uh, there's an author that I really like, uh, Ryan Holiday, and he calls them quake moments, uh, and it's books or things that we experience that really rattle our, our foundations. Um, and, and I'm thankful for a series of, of quake moments in my, uh, adult life that have changed my perspective of times when I realized there was a rich, theology of Jesus that I had not tapped into uh, as a kid that was outside of my experience, this, this theology of grace and truth. Uh, you know, I, I like that, that sense, Charles. Um, you know, and, and, and I was thinking, you know, Nadia Boltz-Weber is, is one of those writers for me. Uh, Rob Bell is another one of those. And, and in fact, I think Rob Bell's arc describes my own in a lot of ways. So I remember uh, as a, as a, kid and, and young teenager, uh, you know, really liking Rob Bell. I liked what he had to say. You know, the Numo videos were a little cheesy, but circa 2001, they were, they were edgy. They were, uh, you know, they were cool. And, uh, and then Rob Bell, uh, took, took it too far. Right. And he was, he was suddenly on the outside of the circle and we were, we weren't allowed to like the Numo videos anymore. We weren't allowed to, to support that. And, and I was still in a place that, that Rob Bell walked out of my life, you know, for a solid decade. Um, and then as I was putting back together the pieces of my own faith, uh, doing some deconstruction, and then I think moving to a period of reconstruction, um, you know, I found Rob again, and I read some of his later books. And, um, you know, I appreciate the the things that he has to say as for so many and, and, and his way of, of seeing the Bible, of seeing grace, of seeing God, I, I come to appreciate it. And there's something that he says um, in his book, What is the Bible? Uh, I think it's from the rabbinical tradition. It's a, it's a quote he shares, but it's that um, every scripture is a multi-sided jewel. And when you see it in a new way, when you approach it in a new way, you say, aha, I'm turning the jewel. And you're seeing a different facet uh, of the diamond. And and I love that because before I, I was taught that there was no multi-sidedness to scripture. It was plain 
what it said and there was plain truth and those that didn't see it that way were seeing it wrong. Um, and so now when I find something that I hold in tension or I see it in a new way, I'm thankful for that concept that's been so meaningful to me to turn the jewel uh, and see it in a new way and try to see what God is teaching me there. Thank you, Miles. Val, we have to have time for you to talk. So <laughs> Val, time. Yes, there's time. Okay. Um, I think probably my, I don't know if I'll say first, but I had this epiphany, epiphany moment several years ago. And I know I talk about my experience with anxiety and panic attacks ad nauseum. So yes, this involves that. Um, <laughs> but I, I really hated myself. Um, I thought I was worthless and dumb and not lovable. Um, and I remember having a really bad panic attack and I remember being on the floor of my bathroom and just really beating myself up and having this epiphany of God sort of coming to me and being like, I love you. You're really beautiful. I love you. And it really struck me because at that moment I felt like, why would you love me? I'm a mess right now. Like I'm a grown adult laying on my bathroom floor, shaking and crying. Like I'm not really very lovable right now, but it was just like, it didn't matter. The complete sentence was, I love you. And that is really powerful. And that's different than how I viewed God growing up. It was like, God loves us so much because we do these things, right? And if you don't do these things, then like God still loves you, but he has to kill you or he has to send you to hell or whatever. And the notion that like God just loves you. <laughs> like it's kind of like how Sarah said, like God just likes being with you. Like there isn't really an agenda. It's just like, I love you is so powerful to me. And I know um, I often think about how in the creation story in Genesis, it talks about like God making all the different things. And after he makes everything, it says God saw that it was good. God said that it was good. And it's like, again, it's a complete sentence. It's not God saw that it was good because it followed these certain rules or it said these prayers or it did these things. It's like God saw that it was good. And I thought about that even when Terry was saying that struggle of, am I good enough? There is no enough. It's just, you are good. And that's powerful to me. Thank you, Val. Uh, thank you too for doing that video of the, um, the book reading. I got to talk to my girls this morning about that. It was a pretty, speaking of experiences of Jesus being full of grace and truth, that, that was one of them for, for us this morning. Thank you for that. Uh, last and probably best, Sharon, what you got? No pressure though. Yeah, yeah, I had an issue with the time thing too. And I was like, well, I have something I just really, really want to share. So I was like, so put my name down. Okay. So earlier when you're talking about like God's presence in, Early just this morning during the time of silence, I wanted to share just kind of how God showed up for me in that time of silence too, because it was just a really cool moment with God. So like stuff that I have been, 
I've just been in a hard place lately asking, you know, just similar questions um, about just life and views and how did I get here and why do I think that and should I hold on to that or not? And just wrestling with like, do I hold on to things that I was raised with or do I like uproot that and pull it out of my life and, and things like that, which can just be, can, you know, hard and disconcerting when you're in the middle of going through it. So in the time of silence, um, I was actually able to quiet my mind, which was amazing because sometimes my mind like takes off. Um, and I do, I do get visions and dreams from God from time to time, which is cool. So I know that that's him speaking to me. So in the time of silence, I was sitting here physically, like with my hands up like this, just in a position of just like surrender. And I was like, okay, God, you can talk if you want to. Like, I don't have any big expectations, but like, you can talk if you want to. Um, so like while I'm physically sitting here with my hands like this, like I saw a vision of just like flowers, just like growing up, like out of my hands with these like tall stems and like really, really like super brightly colored, like multicolored just flowers. And it was just this cool picture of just like a beauty growing out of um, just things I've wrestled with or like the surrendering. Um, and then <laughs> it's really disturbing. This big shark came out of the side and ate all the tops of the flowers. <laughs> And then this big boot came from above and kicked the shark. <laughs> so I see movies in my head. Uh, <laughs> so it was clear that like the shark was Satan and he was trying to steal my joy. And then God was coming from above and he was like, get out of here, Satan. And when I have these visions, sometimes it's pretty cool because I get to like talk and ask questions. Um, and, it, you know, kind of, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm glad that the boot kicked the shark. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. But I'm upset that the shark ate the flowers. Um, and then God showed me, okay, he may have like temporarily taken the top of the flower, like the easiest part to see, like the prettiest part, like for a second. But look, and then I saw like all these roots from like coming like through like the flowers that were like going through my hands were like deeply rooted in the ground. And then the flowers grew back. And God was like, yeah, Satan made an attempt to take your joy, but he did not take the root and he did not actually take the joy. And I'm going to restore that. Um, and then the shark would try to come again and the boot would kick it again. And then, and then there was like this barrier, like this clear barrier that like was put around me. And my thought was, OK, I know that that's supposed to be protection, but now I feel like I'm in a cage and I'm upset again. Like, are you trying to like put me in a cage? And then God was like, no, 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 that wasn't it. And so like the the thing that was all the way around me like opened up to just be a barrier between me and the shark. <laughs> and then there were these like holes in it, which like I knew that that meant like, so I could breathe. Like it was like the barrier that was between me and the shark was not meant to suffocate me. And it was not meant to like hold me in. It was for my protection. Um, and then so I'm sitting there still like, I haven't moved at this point. I'm still sitting here with my hands open with these flowers that are now beautiful again, watching this battle between this giant boot and this shark like could go back and forth and I'm not the one fighting the battle um and it was like God was fighting for me and all I had to do was sit there and surrender and like experience joy um anyway that, <laughs> that's what happened for me about 30 minutes ago nice. a really cool way that that God showed up um and spoke to me about where I am right now um and that he's fighting for me. And so I just wanted to share that. I love it. Thank you. I don't think I'll soon forget the shark in the boot. 
Awesome. Grace upon grace. Uh, hear the good news of the Christmas season that Jesus comes to us and God in Jesus comes to us full of grace and truth. And when we experience uh, Jesus' presence as grace and truth, grace upon grace, we want to be like him. Contrary to those sermons that say that too much grace would make us shallow, I say, bull, you know what? Grace transforms us into conduits of grace. This is what it means to believe in Jesus and to become children of God, to trust Jesus, to allow him to be our graceful master so that we might in turn become grace to others. Amen.